Welcome to the Plant-Centered and Thriving Podcast. I'm your host, Ashley Kitchens. I'm a plant-based registered dietitian and virtual nutrition mentor. I was raised on an Angus cattle farm, grew up with a lot of GI issues, and used the power of plant-based eating to promote healing. Here, you'll find inspiration, ideas, and encouragement for your own plant-based journey. I'm so thrilled you're here today. Let's get started. Hello and welcome plant-centered listeners. We are so happy that you are here with us today. Just thought we'd change it up a little bit. I'll be doing your intro, but don't you worry, Ashley will be right back with this crazy, amazing interview that we have for you today. We did want to give you a quick heads up that we did experience a little bit of technical difficulties in this episode with a little bit of echoing. We didn't want to scrap the whole episode because it's so, so good. So it's just a few times throughout this episode. So again, we do apologize for that, but just wanted to give you a little heads up. So I'm sure you guys have probably heard in the media recently about lab grown meat. Well, we welcome Caitlin. She's the director of strategic partnerships and public affairs at Clever Carnivore, Chicago's first cultivated meat company. So that's one of the first things we talk about. It's actually not called lab grown meat. The industry vernacular they prefer is cultivated meat. And we will dive into why that is and why that's important. Caitlin is not only their director, but also a 30-year vegetarian and 10-year vegan. So I am so excited to hear her particular perspective on why she chose to work for a meat company. Uh, So she dives into why that is important to her. And this conversation was fascinating. I cannot wait to hear your reactions to this. I can't wait to hear if you guys are interested in trying cultivated meat after this episode, or if it's that something you are like, no way, no how, not in this lifetime. So we get into so many different things. First and foremost, what is cultivated meat? What is the industry definition at this point? How it's made? What are the big differences between cultivated meat and regular meat? What are the environmental impacts of this new product? And should vegans even eat this? Is this something that we should encourage ourselves to eat? Or is this something that is just for those heavy duty meat eaters? And when can we expect to see these in grocery stores? And hint guys, it is not far away. So again, I don't want to make you guys wait any longer check out this amazing episode with Ashley and Caitlin. Let us know on social media what you think. I cannot wait to hear your reactions. All right, let's get to the show. Honestly, Caitlin, what I'm curious to know is, so you were in Durham for a little while, which is how we originally got connected, like through, was it, was it the vegan? It was uh, the vegan drinks meetup. That's right. That's right. That's right. Okay. (laughs) And then from there, like what's been going on with you? Yeah. um, Thanks for asking. So I moved to Chicago in January 2020. Um, uh, Basically, I had been living in North Carolina most of my life and was interested in just checking out a new city. And some of my requirements for the city were um, 
great public transit. I hate driving. I'm a big transit person. Um, great. great vegan options. Um, I just generally enjoy being in metropolitan areas. So I ended up finding a job at East Chicago, um, moved to Chicago. Um, but soon thereafter, got a job with the Good Food Institute, um, which, as you may know, is a nonprofit think tank that works to accelerate alternative proteins. And yes. this is kind of really where my interests lie. Um, so I was at GFI for a while, um, and then now I'm working for Clever Carnivore, which is a startup actually based in Chicago. So it's really cool to actually be able to like come into the office, connect with my colleagues, and just really feel like I'm part of a company that really is integrated into the city, and that's part of the you know the city's economy. And just like yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, I did not know that. So was that was that were that was part of your interest when we first met? Which I know was like a long time ago at this point, but. Yeah. So I actually started becoming interested in alternative proteins. I would say around 2016, um, I'd been involved in kind of the plant-based movement, I would say probably for about six to 10 years prior to that, um, primarily around the areas of, um, you know, encouraging folks to reduce their meat consumption, um, choose plant-based options, um, and things of that nature. But what I really perceived both anecdotally, and I think sort of from a global perspective as well, is that Consumer education does not, unfortunately, always change consumer behavior. Um, and so I really found that, you know, I was asking people to eat less meat. And yet I saw that, um, you know, 2022 saw the highest per capita meat consumption in recorded history. And so I really started thinking like, OK, um, if we can't educate consumers into reducing their meat consumption, what can we do? And it was around that time that I started learning about the Good Food Institute and alternative proteins and um, sort of this theory of change that if we create products that taste the same or better and cost the same or less as conventional meat, that people are likely to try it. You know, consumer studies have shown that people ultimately care about taste, price, and convenience. And so, um, you know, I really think that if we're able to make alternatives to conventional meat that that reach taste and price parity, that people are likely uh, to seek them out, which we're kind of, I believe, finding in the plant-based space. I know the Impossible Burger, um, the number one um, demographic for that is omnivores. So it's really exciting to see that there are, you know, folks who are maybe reducitarians or, you know, do often eat meat, but they're sometimes choose, uh, choosing the plant-based option because it tastes good. And yes, affordable. Yeah. I remember reading that about Impossible and Beyond that they were both talking about how their consumers, they're not pushing out this product specifically for vegans. It's really for people who eat both like meat and plants, which I thought that was really fascinating, but really great for people who are, like you said, looking to reduce the amount of meat they're eating or try an alternative that's similar to what they're eating. Exactly. Yeah. And I didn't know just, just because you brought it up, Caitlin, that our highest meat consumption was in 2022, because especially with dairy right now, you know, there's kind of this decline in consumption and they're really pushing like the ads and different things like that. I'm sure you all have seen them on social media, but mm -hmm. meat, I did not know that about meat. Yeah. And, and that's, that's a global figure. So I think that, you know, uh, in some countries, um, as, as sort of the economies grow, meat is viewed yep. as a luxury item. And so people are more likely to seek it out. Um, but I think even in the U S and I'm not sure about the statistic, but I know that people are choosing more plant-based options, but at the same time, meat consumption is increasing. I believe after learning that I was like, okay, I think that plant-based advocacy is really important. And I still do it, especially among my friends and colleagues and just try to sort of be a positive example of a person that adheres to a plant-based diet. Um, but in terms of, you know, the impact that I want to make on the world, you know, I think that working yeah. on alternative proteins is kind of um, 
feels like a good fit for me in terms of making these more like systems level changes. Yes. Yes. And I want to talk about that. I want to talk about what you're doing. I want to talk about Clever Carnivore. But first, can you explain to us and maybe let us know like the proper terminology for lab grown meat and exactly what it is and kind of like walk us through how like the process and how it's even cultivated. Absolutely. Yeah. So the nomenclature we use and that I think sort of the industry is rallying around is cultivated meat. Um, And the reason for that is because it truly is the most accurate description of what we're doing, which is cultivating meat from small samples of animals. So, you know, I think lab grown meat is probably the sort of like what's in the zeitgeist right now. And um, I think that that isn't always an accurate reflection of what's actually happening, because what we're doing actually is more of a brewery type setting. Um, you know, we're growing meat in these large bioreactors that are very similar to fermentation tanks. In fact, we do um, get a lot of our equipment from from the brewery industry, from even like the cosmetic industry. We have got one of our mixing tanks from there. So we're doing a lot of repurposing from other industries. So yeah, cultivated meat certainly I think is the most accurate. You know, some people say things like cell-based meat or cell-cultured meat. And I think that that actually doesn't provide any additional clarification because Conventional meat is made of cells. We're made of cells. Plant-based meat is made Good of point. cells. So say, saying cell-based is kind of just saying, like, I, it doesn't really provide clarification about what it is. So, And then yeah. some people are saying cultured meat, which I think there could be some confusion there because aquaculture is a type of fish farming. So yep. we just think, and I think there was like a consumer study that showed that with education that cultivated meat is the most palatable and also the most... Um, accurate description of what we're actually doing. So um, yeah, we say cultivated meat. So cultivated meat is actual meat that is grown outside the animal. Um, So basically it's made by producing um, initially a very small non-invasive skin sample from an animal. And then that sample is grown in bioreactors and fed something that's called a cell culture media, which is basically just a nutrient rich liquid contains things like all the things your cells need to grow. So vitamins, minerals, amino acids, water, salt. In my opinion, I always call it like the cells Gatorade because, um, and I think technically we actually, I think some of the scientists here have actually tried the media. So it's, it's totally all stuff that that's needed in your body to grow. And so we take that sample and put it in the media. So we're basically feeding the media to the cells and that produces real animal muscle. This is a very simplified version by the way, but, but basically it's, it's, it's doing something that you know, we've actually been doing in human therapeutics for a long time. Um, so, and just applying it to growing, growing meat. We, and, and actually it's really interesting because you're able to grow muscle, but you can also change the media and you're able to grow fat. So of course, you know, meat is made up of actual animal meat and also fat. So, um, so we're able to do all of this. So what I like to say is that we're recreating the conditions inside of an animal outside the animal. So it's just, it's just producing meat in a, in, in a different way. And uh, yeah, so like the cell media is the same temperature as the animal's body. It's, it, it really is saying like what happens inside an animal, in our case, a pig, and let's do it outside the animal. Wow. I mean, it's just so wild that we are able to do this. I mean, what brilliant people are behind this kind of stuff. I mean, it's just so innovative. And the fact that you mentioned it's non-invasive. So there's, it sounds like no harm is done to the animals. Like, what does that even look like? Are they taking like tweezers and like picking out something? How does that work? Yeah, that's right. And this is really important to me as a person who is vegan for a lot of reasons, but primarily for the animals. Basically, there's just like a small incision that's made and a little bit of the skin is taken, but that can be numbed and then it's kind of sewed back up. So it's, 
in my opinion, the least harm possible to an animal. And like, hopefully it's not hurting them. And also compared to, you know, the way that we factory farm 9 billion animals a year, I think that taking a really small incision is, and especially because um, in the case of most cultivated meat companies, that small sample can provide an infinite amount of meat because of the nature of how cells replicate. So for us, for example, we have cells from a pig and we will never have to go back to that animal to get additional samples. And we will be able to make meat basically ad infinitum. So forever. Wow. So which, I mean, that's, I think that that also kind of speaks to how efficient cultivated meat is rather than, you know, having to grow crops to feed animals, to, you know, feed them water, to have them on transportation trucks and go to slaughter. We are making meat right here in this very innocuous looking office building. So the supply chain's a lot shorter and it's far fewer resources, much, much better for the environment. And I I know that some uh, cultivated meat companies actually have, like I saw that one of them, he's making cultivated lamb. Um, I was looking at the employees there and they have Lucy the lamb as one of their, they were like, Lucy provided our initial cells and now she's living freely and you know roaming the prairie (laughs) so it's 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 really cool and I think for me like knowing that that we are able to make meat without real animal meat without harming animals is really just such an innovative and um, amazing thing yeah yeah and I definitely want to go back to that environmental impacts I think it's really important to talk about just all the areas that this has that this can potentially impact for the greater good. Mm-hmm. But you had mentioned something about kind of adjusting, you mentioned like kind of the fat, like you can grow fat and muscle. Does that mean that we can kind of adjust the fat content of some of the meat that we are growing so that maybe like quote healthier, or it's less saturated fat laden? Like what does that look like? That's exactly right, Ashley. Yeah, great question. Um so basically what we're making is identical to conventional meat. However, we do have the room to kind of tailor. So for example, we, in terms of like the health benefits of this product, it is conventional meat, but we don't have to include cholesterol. So it could be a cholesterol-free animal meat product. Um, As you mentioned, yes, we are able to adjust the meat to fat ratio. So if you wanted to make a low fat product or even a higher fat product for people. For example, I know keto, I do not endorse keto by the way, but for people interested in, (laughs) in, you know, like a higher protein keto diet or something that we could, you know, make a higher fat um, content. And um, also worth noting in terms of health that our product is 100% free of antibiotics. Um, Whereas conventional meat, I learned this stat recently. It's absolutely staggering to me that over 70% of antibiotics globally are fed to farmed animals to keep them even healthy oh ones, gosh. just to keep them well because of the nature of, you know, they're they're crammed into these small, it's 20,000 chickens in a shed. Of course, that's going to breed disease. So yeah. they're just preemptively fed antibiotics, which of course has massive human health implications in terms of antibiotic resistance. Not a very fun topic, but in, but I think important to note that our product doesn't have antibiotics and it's it's, you know, produced in a very clean environment. Wow. So there really is no need for, cause I, I mean, I grew up on an Angus cattle farm. So antibiotics, obviously, yes, were necessary. And then so were, um, like steroids and different things mm-hmm. to like make the animals grow faster. So there probably isn't a need for that either. Yep. No steroids. Yep. And, um, our product also, uh, we are able to say that it's not genetically modified. So non GMO. And I will say that I think that there is like, I personally, I'm pro GMO, like as in, I think there's a lot of anti-science fear mongering around GMOs, but for yeah. people who are concerned about that, it is a non GMO product. So it's, yeah, non-GMO, antibiotic-free, steroid-free. You know, we're bringing the 
the experience of conventional meat because it is real meat um, without many of the negative externalities of conventional animal farming. Yeah. Wow. Well, and so Caitlin, how long does it take? Because you used kind of the brewery as an example. I know some beers can maybe take a few weeks while others mm-hmm. you could have them uh, I don't know, sitting in those, whatever they are for like years of um, <laughs> aging. So how long does this approximately take? Or is there a timeline for it? That's a really great question. Yeah. I was actually just talking to some of our, um, the, our, the, my colleagues about this and they estimated that Probably from the initial cell to actually having a sausage takes about 10 days. Um, what? So, which is, yeah, which is really crazy to think about. But, um, but basically, yeah, it's, it's, and I, I actually have to say it's really interesting because we just hired a new food scientist who actually came to us from Tyson, where he spent over 30 years making meat. So really kind of a great fit for us. We needed someone to come in and make sausage. So um, he started recently and he's actually already making cultivated meat products and they're actually partially plant-based. So at the moment, our current product is about I would say, and, and we're iterating on this. Um, I think we have a goal to have a high cultivated meat inclusion rate, but at the moment it's about 90% plant-based, 10% cultivated meat. So just kind of gradually incorporating cultivated meat into the product. And um, I got to try it last week. And <gasps> I had not had meat in 31 years. Oh my and, gosh. And I had never had meat from a mammal before. I'm like a pretty lifelong vegetarian. Um, yeah. But the product we're making is a, it's actually a cultivated bratwurst. It's going to be called the Clever Bratwurst. Ooh. And so, yeah, I was able to try it and basically try pork for the first time, um, which was such a wild. It's seriously, my brain could not fathom what was happening. When I was oh, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, that was something I was going to ask you, Caitlin, is like, what does this mean for vegans and plant-based eaters? And in, in terms of like, would you, because I know that you, I knew that you hadn't eaten meat in a really long time. I did not know you had not eat, ever not eaten animals, but, or mammals. Um, what is that? Like, I guess, would, I mean, you've obviously already tried it. So that, that's what I was going to ask you, but what does this mean for maybe other vegans? Like, have you heard like what people say or what they're thinking in terms of whether or not they would try it? Yeah, that's a really great question, Ashley. Essentially, uh, like I feel personally that cultivated meat is not necessarily for vegans and vegetarians. You know, something like 95 plus percent of people on earth eat meat. And so we we are making cultivated meat for the people that, you know, want to eat animal meat. I do I do believe that like there is a certain type of person and probably a lot of the population who even when the plant-based products are reaching taste and price parity. They just simply want to eat meat from an animal. Um, yeah. And, and you know, I, I've sort of seen this anecdotally through my vegan activism and just sort of seeing these trends. I, I do feel that there are certain people that just want to eat real meat. And so cultivated meat is providing that because it is real meat um, from an animal. And um, so I would say first that cultivated meat primarily, I think the the primary target is current omnivores. Mm -hmm. Um, But that said, great question about vegans and vegetarians. And I get this question a lot as a vegan working for a meat company. (laughs) But I think that, you know, the product we're making is for all intents and purposes, cruelty free. You know, we're not harming animals. Um, We have that first incision from a pig and that's it. So I think depending on your reason for being vegan, that it is accessible to vegans and vegetarians. So if you know, like I personally, um, I'm not necessarily disgusted by meat. The reason I choose to not eat meat is because of the environmental impacts, the horrific cruelty to animals. Um, yeah, sustainability, the environmental racism, like there's, it, it really truly is such a, you know, um, an industry that has such negative impact on the world. And so that that's why I choose to abstain 
from eating meat. Uh, but, you know, I think folks, I guess maybe primarily for health, that maybe they mm-hmm. would choose not to eat it. And I even think personally, maybe, you know, I tried cultivated meat and it was delicious, but will I incorporate it into my regular diet? Not necessarily. I've lived almost my entire life as a vegetarian and I don't, I don't feel like I'm missing anything. I actually think many of the plant-based analogs are really good. And um, yeah. yeah, I think it probably, as far as vegans and vegetarians go, it sort of maybe depends on your reason why you're a vegetarian or vegan. Um, and, and certainly if that folks are you know, content with their current diets. I talked to my parents about if they're vegan and they're like, we're okay with our Boca burgers. Yes. So, you know, it's, I think it probably varies, but, um, but I, I don't know. I think most of the vegans I've talked to are supportive of it because of the nature of it being not harming animals, being more efficient, much better for the environment with land and water use, et cetera. Yes. Yeah. If we don't need 9 billion animals being farmed, like, and we can have a sweet little Lucy who we take one little sample from her and then she's off in her pasture, like running <laughs> around. I mean, what a, beautiful way to have animals and not have to treat them the way that we currently are treat them. But then there are people who can still get their, like you said, their quote, real meat Mm -hmm. without having all that harm and the negative impacts that come with many other things that are involved with it. So exactly. I'm I'm curious, Caitlin, how you felt after eating it. Like, did your, did it upset your stomach? Like, were you fine? Like not, not a big deal. Yeah, that's a great question. Um, first, I will say that it was absolutely delicious. I wasn't <laughs> sure what to expect. And I actually tried um, a fully plant-based sausage. So it was kind of the control um, oh. first, which was really great. I love plant-based sausage. It yes. was delicious. And then I tried the plant-based with 10% meat inclusion. And I was surprised at how different even that small amount of meat could make. It frankly hmm. tasted much meatier. <laughs> yeah. it, it was sort of a bit more savory. And I, I will say too that I did, I, I sort of was like, oh, okay, I understand why people do eat meat. It tastes really good. <laughs> um, so uh, yeah, it it didn't really affect me. Um, I felt essentially the same. Maybe it's because it was just a small amount of meat and primarily plant-based or um, yeah, I don't know. I'm, I'm really eager to continue trying it and maybe, you know, try sausages with that are more animal meat based and sort of see how my body reacts to it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it will be interesting. And I'm really keen to try some of the other cultivated um, products out there too. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. So I'm curious for people who, and I, I like that it's called cultivated meat and not lab grown meat. Cause I'm sure there's a stigma of like, well, I'm not going to eat something from a lab or, mm-hmm. you know, whatever that may look like. Mm-hmm. But is there anything that people as consumers should be concerned about? Or is there anything that uh, maybe people should be worried about that you've come across or like concerns, common concerns that people have about this? Yeah, that's a really good question. I do think that because it's a very new and nascent industry, there's a yeah. lot of sensationalism in the media about things that could potentially cause issues or, um, you know, that people should be fearful of. Like, I know there was a really popular article that was sort of about um, the potential for lab-grown meat causing cancer. I'm not sure if you saw that or not, but then if you actually read the article, it says, don't worry, we consulted with um, cancer scientists and there's virtually no, uh, you know, risk of cancer. I mean, in my opinion, it's like clickbait. Like, of course, people want to say lab-grown meat cancer. They want to click on that and, and be afraid. But but if you think about the cancer rates, you know, related to conventional meat, like that's that's that not necessarily in the media. So right. yeah, as far as and I, I really have been thinking about this, trying to be objective because, of course, you know, I am supportive of this industry, but I also, of course, want it to be a healthy choice for consumers and not something that people should con- be concerned about as far as their health goes. But yeah. I haven't really seen any concerns, as mentioned. 
the product is free of antibiotics. It's free of steroids. Um, it's, it's cultivated and grown in a very clean environment. It has to be. I don't think that there are any particular concerns. And if anyone listening does have concerns, folks can always reach out to me with their questions and I okay. can, I can look into it. So yeah, um, perfect. Yeah. I think that's a good point, though, with anything that's innovative or like newer to the market or a new product, there's always questions or concerns. I mean, heck, plant milk is still getting, you know, concerns every once in a while, like poor oat milk has been on the chopping block for forever. So I think that's just something that kind of comes with the territory of having something that is incredibly innovative, like cultivated meat, which I think is so cool. You're absolutely right. In the spirit of this, I saw some headlines from the 1990s that said something like, the internet is a passing fad. Um, and, and then also there were similar headlines from the 1900s that said, cars are a passing fad. The horse and buggy is here to stay, which really kind of shows that, you know, when you're modernizing a technology such as taking this very antiquated way of us raising crops to then feed animals. And like speaking of efficiency, which I was discussing earlier, in order to make conventional animal meat, it takes 100 calories of grain to produce three calories of beef. Um, which is just crazy because, you know, if you think about how you could be feeding those 100 great calories of grain to a human being, we could feed many, many more people. So, yes. um, you know, taking this very inefficient way of creating protein to a more efficient way and, and just basically, in my opinion, cultivated meat is modernizing meat technology. Of course, there are going to be naysayers and folks who are, you yeah. know, have concerns or or even sometimes I think pushback from folks who might feel, you know, potentially threatened by this in terms of their business. But one thing, you know, a lot of people ask me about how this might affect small farmers. And I think that what's really great is that I believe that alternative proteins and cultivated meat can actually work in tandem with small farmers because the way that we're producing meat through cultivation uses far, far less land. I think something like there was a techno-economic analysis that said it uses 95% less land than conventional meat which frees up land for people to have small farms, do regenerative farming, you know, yeah. that kind of thing. Um, and there have also been cases of, this is actually really cool, I think, small farmers working with cultivated meat companies to provide samples of their animal to produce cultivated meat. So for example, I know in Japan, Wagyu beef is very expensive. And there are these small Wagyu beef farms that are providing samples to a cultivated meat company to produce cultivated meat much more efficiently and, wow. and cheaply. And without harming the animal. Yes. Oh my goodness. And too, to be able to kind of turn your land into something that's giving back to the earth versus taking away from it. Mm-hmm. And again, this goes back to being open-minded to these changes that are happening in our world, to being open-minded mm-hmm. to technology and not being, I hate to say it, closed-minded and kind of just sticking with mm-hmm. the way we've always done things, which doesn't always work, you know, for forever. So I think that's cool that you mentioned that too. I think that's if if farmers, especially small farmers, can be open to the, these changes, it could be really beneficial, like have a really positive impact. Yeah. Exactly. I know. I, I was really stunned to learn that over 99% of meat and dairy actually come from factory farms. The number of small farms in the United States is actually, I mean, it's like almost minuscule. Wow. And so if we're able to produce meat in this more efficient way, like as mentioned, you know, that frees yeah. up tons of land for small farmers to actually thrive and have their, their businesses. Yeah. And with plants taking off, it's more plants we can plant. I mean, there's just exactly. so, many, so many things that can be done. I know. Or forests, you know, there can be, yes. um, there, there's opportunity for like carbon sequestration, for kind of rewilding um, the land that's currently being occupied to primarily raise crops such as soybeans. You know, I, soy actually... 90% of soybeans actually goes to feeding animals, which is crazy because people often cite soy as being really bad for the environment. And it's like, that may be the case, but actually most of it is animal for animal feed. 
Yeah. Wow. And so it's not mm-hmm. even going to like us directly as consumers. It's going to the animals, which then we're eating the animals. Again, just a very mm-hmm. inefficient process there. Exactly. Yeah. Wow. So what does this look like for consumers? As in like, when do you think we're going to start seeing this? Or is it even close to being like in grocery stores? Or what? what's mm-hmm. that kind of looking like right now? Yeah, great question. So as you may know, in order to sell cultivated meat in the United States, companies have to receive FDA and USDA regulatory approval, um, which is quite a lengthy process. Um, there are currently two companies in the U.S. that have received the green light from the um, from the FDA, which are Upside Foods and Good Meat. And Good Meat, as you may know, actually was founded by the founders of Eat Just of Just Egg. Um, so they have the Eat Just venture and they have the Cultivated Meat venture. Um, and they're actually currently selling their product in Singapore, which is the only country in the world that's received um, the green light from the government to sell cultivated meat. So okay. you can go to Singapore and go to restaurants and, and eat cultivated chicken there from good meat, which is great. But in the U.S., yeah, right now, Upside Foods and Good Meat have received the green light. Upside has said that they hope to bring their product to restaurants as soon as 2023 and to grocery stores by 2028. So a little bit further out there. And as far as good meat goes, um, celebrity chef Jose Andres, um, who I don't know if you know, but he actually agreed to offer good meats chicken to customers at one of his restaurants in Washington, D.C., which I believe is happening this year, too. So I certainly will try to be one of the first uh, first customers there to try it. So so he'll become the first chef in the world to serve (gasps) good meat or rather, sorry, in the U.S. to serve cultivated chicken. Those are the two companies that have gotten FDA approval. Um, I I know that there are a lot of other cultivated meat companies that are currently pursuing that. So I, I think that people will start to see it in restaurants probably within the next year or so, maybe further along in grocery stores. So, for example, at Clever Carnivore, we just started the FDA regulatory approval process. But we're really excited that once we have our final, once our food scientist is sort of like finalized our product, that we will be able to, for example, host pop-ups and tastings, provide some oh, of wow. our sausage to local chefs to incorporate into their dishes. And, and you know, we won't be selling it, but people will be able to try it, um, which will be really exciting. So, um, but yeah, as far as seeing it, you know, I know it's kind of like it's in the ether right now, lab-grown meat, cultivated meat. Um, And I do think that people will start to see it in restaurants relatively soon, maybe in grocery stores a few years later. But it still seems like a really short timeline to me. Like, I would say in 2016, I never would have guessed that cultivated meat would would be something that I'd be able to try, you know, Right. Less than 10 years later. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we were being talked about, you know, really early on, but they were talking about it's going to be like thousands of dollars for a steak mm-hmm. or like an absurd number that you could never wrap your head around, even the possibility of eating something like that or it, it, even being in restaurants just because it wouldn't be affordable whatsoever. Mm-hmm. But it sounds like it's going to be for chefs, for restaurants, for eventually grocery stores. It will be something that people can actually buy, like it's not going to be a thousand dollars a pound or something ridiculous like that. Yeah. And you make a really good point about cost. Um, You know, I think people may have seen years ago something like, yeah, the $10,000 cultivated steak or lab grown burger and things like that. And there really are a lot of um, efforts being made right now to scale up and receive, um, you know, achieve commercial viability and ensure that this is something that consumers can afford. Specifically at Clever Carnivore, we are really concerned about food security and about Mm -hmm. ensuring that this is an accessible product. You know, we want this to be something that are, you know, the Clever Bratwurst is sold in corner stores. And um, we actually, because of our very efficient method and our low cost media that we make, um, we're actually going to be able to produce a $1 sausage, which we're really excited about. So we think that we're already competitive with conventional meat, um, and um, which is great. And I know that other companies are really trying to get costs down. And this is definitely something that people are talking about, like, 
companies working together and working with with uh, industries like breweries and and sort of repurposing existing infrastructure um, to to get costs down because it is you know certainly can be costly to acquire all this equipment um, and yeah. things like that. So I know cost is like a really big discussion right now in the space and people are talking about the the major factors and how to get them down. Sure. Yeah. But a $1 mm. sausage, that is that's way much more affordable than like yeah, the $10,000 steak or the burger that they were talking about many, many years ago. So that's a really cool to hear that companies have been able to adjust, you know, how they're making things so that it is more affordable for people who can actually be in restaurants and grocery mm-hmm. stores. Yeah. And I think it'll become increasingly affordable um, as the technology evolves and as more and more companies, you know, join the space as, as companies um, collaborate, you know, I think there are opportunities for, for companies, small companies that have really impressive technology, or they're really able to get costs down to be acquired by some of the larger cultivated meat companies, or even by some of the conventional meat incumbents. You know, I know that um, Tyson and Purdue are both very on board for, with cultivated meat, n- knowing that not that I'm saying that they're saints or anything, but but I, but it is kind of a sign of the times that the conventional meat industries are are recognizing the benefits and the economic viability of, of cultivated meat. So that's yeah. really exciting. I feel like Caitlin, they almost have to be, they have to be open to this mm-hmm. because I really truly believe that this is the direction that we're headed because it's so much more efficient. It, there's less environmental impact, less animal cruelty. Like there's so many mm-hmm. benefits to eating this way. I feel like these big companies who have been traditionally, you know, raising meat or making meat for years, decades, they have mm-hmm. to be open to this stuff. You're exactly right. And I think that especially seeing these recent supply chain issues um, with things like eggs being so expensive, you know, yeah. I, I just feel like the very fraught nature of the animal agriculture supply chain is exemplified in these kinds of crises like avian flu with uh, egg prices increasing. Um, and, and I think that the price of animal products is going to continue increasing because of just, mm-hmm. you know, the, the nature of, as we've mentioned, like disease ha- taking place on factory farms and having to cull animals and things like that. It's, I, I think that it's just going to, you know, cause animal products to become inaccessible. So, um, and, you know, the raw materials of supply chain of the cultivated meat is a lot more straightforward and sort of less disruptable, in my opinion, because it really is just requires a sample of an animal and basic components of the media. Um, so, yeah. That's so wow. My mind is seriously blown. <laughs> I'm just so amazed. Mm-hmm. You, we touched on the government regulation and labeling a little bit. Do you see any barriers to that where like just to get this out to the public, you know, is that going to be slow played or do you think, I mean, obviously two companies have been approved so far, but do you think there's any other like challenges that will arise with like the government approving this kind of stuff? Yeah, that's a really great question, especially concerning labeling, which I believe is a bit to be foreseen. Yeah. Um, but I know that organizations such as the Good Food Institute um, is really working to both secure government support for alternative protein R&D and also advocate for a policy that places all proteins on a level playing field. So I know we've seen lately there have been efforts by the dairy industry to say almond milk is not real milk and citing consumer confusion. But of course, you know, there's consumer studies that say that people know that almond milk is, it's not coming from a cow. It's pretty straightforward. So I think similarly with cultivated meat, of course, there will, there'll need to be consumer education around what it really is. Um, Mm. but, but it's still early days. And I think that, that, you know, once people kind of better understand, and I think also are able to see and smell and try the product right now, the the problem is, I think no one has seen in probably 
you know, very, very few people have seen like a cultivated burger in, you know, in person yeah. and been able to try it. So, so just kind of like the unknown, I think is kind of scary for people, but, yes. um, but I think we'll, well, it'll be interesting to see sort of like what the labels look like as far as cultivated meat. I know, as I mentioned, our product will be able to say cultivated, clever carnivore, um, the clever bratwurst cultivated, no antibiotics, no GMO, um, no steroids, you know? So it's, I mean, it really, I think that when consumers see that the products are, you know, potentially cheaper than conventional meat, they taste as good or better, and that they have all these benefits that they will be incentivized at least to try it. Yeah, definitely. Mm -hmm. And I mm -hmm. wonder if in the future, there'll be a chance similar to breweries or similar to Ben and Jerry's, if y'all have ever been up north, mm -hmm. to where you can kind of walk through and even see how it's made just to get kind of a behind the scenes look, which sometimes makes people more comfortable with like, oh, that's where it's coming from, or that's what it looks like. Yeah. I wonder if that'll be an option in the future, because that'd be kind of neat. That's a great question. Um, yeah, I, we actually always say that um, joke that we're happy to have people come see how the sausage gets made, literally. Yes. <laughs> um, so, and and we we always say, you know, people would be much happier to see how our sausage gets made than how it's made conventionally in slaughterhouses and meat packing facilities. So if yep. you have the option, if you want to try conventional meat and see how that's made, feel free. I personally will yeah. pass, but, right. but to see that, you know, we have we were taking these samples, putting them in bioreactors, and here's the real animal muscle. Um, I, I think there will be opportunities. Um, and, you know, to the point about efficiency, we love the idea of having cultivated meat facilities in every metropolitan center. So, you know, at the moment, it's basically you have to raise animals in rural areas and you're shipping them back and forth for slaughter. But it's like if you can just make meat in the heart of New York City, um, you know, or maybe you have your local neighborhood meatery where the meat is made there. It's kind of like a butchery, but but the meat is also made on site that, um, yeah. you know, that would be a great way to improve um, accessibility and especially in places that are like food deserts, for example, you know, you could have the meatery there and people could get their, their sausage and burgers and bacon. Um, right. I didn't yeah. even think about that from a transportation perspective, how there's potential for there even to be less cars or trucks on the road because there's less transportation of animals to the slaughterhouse and then from the slaughterhouse mm -hmm. to wherever it goes next and then to the mm -hmm. restaurants and the grocery store. So that's, mm -hmm. that's, I didn't even think about that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, were, exactly. Were there any other environmental impacts that we didn't touch on that you wanted to make sure that we did? Cause I feel like there are probably so many more than I could ever yeah. even imagine. As discussed, obviously cultivated meat eliminates the need to raise animals for food. And as mentioned, uses significantly less land and water. Um, it emits much fewer greenhouse gases, and also poses a substantially lower risk of foodborne illness and zoonotic diseases. Without live animals to catch and spread disease, there's no antibiotics needed, and there's no likelihood of foodborne illnesses. Um, and I think about things like the avian flu and COVID and how, you know, disease-causing germs are passed from animals directly to humans, whereas cultivated meat sort of modernizes meat production and eliminates the need of raising animals for food. So we... I mentioned the antibiotics thing. It's it's much much more efficient to 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 make, and um, just like the land and water use specifically, I think is also pretty crucial. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. And I really just kind of reiterate again. I think it's neat how you can kind of manipulate the saturated fat content, cholesterol content, to change it a little bit for people who are maybe looking to eat still eat quote real meat, but have it mm -hmm. be a quote healthier alternative as well. Exactly. Yeah. And yeah. I I actually learned recently that we're able to produce um, something called brown fat, which I hadn't heard before, but I think. I think it's like the fat that is around the organs, yeah. which is sort of better for you. And sometimes 
um, harder to access um, when you're actually raising the animals. So we're e- even able to sort of adjust the, the types of fats that we're including in the product. Oh so it, it is quite like modifiable and customizable. Yeah. Yeah. And it's interesting really quickly because you said something on antibiotics. I remember reading something where someone was expressing concern, well, because there's not antibiotic use that might actually increase the chance of diseases spreading or different things like that. But it sounds like if it's in a clean environment, just like brewing beer mm-hmm. has to be, then mm-hmm. the rate, like the likelihood of contamination has got to be so small. It's very, very low. And actually the scientists were telling me that if there is any contamination, it really reveals itself in the media. So this is some science that I'm not fully understanding, but they, they basically said that it becomes cloudy or there, there's like a huge indicator that it's been contaminated. So, which, which is really good to know because then it's like, okay, we need to start over and make a new batch of this media. Yep. Um, so I think it becomes really, you know, very apparent and, and, you know, as mentioned, we can either make meat this way or from a contamination perspective, have 20,000 chickens living in a shed and defecating on each other and, and right. spreading disease that way. So it's, it's a much, much cleaner alternative. Yeah. Yeah. That definitely makes sense. Mm-hmm. Well, is there anything else that I didn't ask or anything that you wanted to make sure that we touched on that we haven't yet before we kind of wrap up? I'm just really excited about this technology and this new food. And if if anybody has questions about it, feel free to reach out to me. Um, And you can also follow us at Clever Carnivore on LinkedIn, um, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. Um, And there's a lot more information about our product there and sort of the way it's produced um, and things like that. So, but yeah, just kind of reiterating that this is a product that will be accessible to people and it's better for animals and the environment for food security. Um, and just overall is a much, much more efficient way, um, of producing meat that consumers love. Yep. Absolutely. I cannot wait to see this at grocery stores, at restaurants. I feel like it's such a great marketing tool, especially for restaurants and grocery stores. Be like, Hey, we have this product. I mean, I feel like people would just flood to try it because it is so new. It is so innovative. So I'm really excited to see it start rolling out in the next few months or year or so. I am too. Yeah. And definitely give Clever Carnivore a follow because you'll get to stay up to date on like what's happening and what's going on and when they're releasing things, when they're approved by the FDA, all this great stuff. So exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for mentioning that. Yeah, absolutely. Caitlin, thank you so much for coming on and just sharing all this information. My mind again is just blown and I'm so excited to just see how this changes things in the future because I have no doubt that it's going to. Oh my gosh. Thank you so much, Ashley. It was such a pleasure um, talking to you and thanks for your important work in the plant-based space. Thank you so much. And thank you for tuning in today. We will catch you on the next episode. Thank you so much for listening to the Plant-Centered and Thriving Podcast today. If you found this episode inspiring, please share it with a friend or post it on social media and tag me so I can personally say thank you. Until next time, keep thriving.